Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with people behind top nonprofit galas and signature fundraising events to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I am so excited to have my friend Hunter Region on as a guest. Hunter is the campaign events manager for Zach Theater, which is a top performing arts venue in Austin, Texas. They recently hosted a really fantastic annual event. It's one of the most anticipated parties in Austin each spring called Red Hot and Soul. And we're going to talk today about that event that happened recently, as well as, you know, some things that happened that were new this year, you know, coming back out of COVID or, for example, they revamped the format a little bit. And I really look forward to diving in. Hunter is a wealth of information and really has a unique and fun background. So I thought he'd be the perfect guest to have on today to talk about that. So Hunter, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here today. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So, you know, before we dive into the event, I always like to start with, you know, about the organization. So can you tell us a little bit about the mission of Zach Theater? Yes, of course. Um, some of my favorite subjects, you know, fundraising and theater, especially surrounding Zach. Um, Zach is really great. It's the, we are the longest running theater company in Texas going on our 102nd year this year. And so that's gone through a lot of different iterations throughout the time, but we've been running for a long time, a lot of longevity there. And so there's a lot of standards to meet. Really, Zach Theater's main mission is to create uh, theater experiences that and uh, give insight, that are exciting, that are inspiring, and that are made by Austin for Austin. So it, it, I'm very passionate about it as an Austinite and someone that loves our city um, to be in the capital city of Texas. We really try to create theater experiences that invite the audience in to learn something, to create conversation and to add a little spin on it and a little extra magic to make it only available here. And, you know, we have a lot of people that come in from other cities and around the country, but you can really feel that Austin spirit whenever you come to a Zach production. That's incredible. And, you know, your passion, you know, before I ask you how you become, and usually I'll ask next how you become involved, but you had brought it up about your passion for the theater. Where does your passion for the theater originate? So I grew up in a very small town in East Texas, Tyler, Texas. And there we had um, one of the oldest theater in the rounds in the country, the Tyler Civic Theater, just a little shout out to my home theater. And so at a very young age, I was, you know, everyone was around doing sports or hunting. Yeah, hence my name Hunter, it goes very much oh, with the Texas vibe. Interesting. <laughs> and, um, and so I found uh, such a, a comfort and an, a level of explorative creativity through the theater and getting that opportunity to learn really set that, you know, acting bug and performer bug very early in my life. I grew up as a gymnast and loved, loved being in shows because they would always have me flip and twirl and do all the fun things. So I found a love of theater very early. And then moving into my later career, I had a lot of different choice, choices of pathway and kind of in, in the midst of deciding where to fit theater into my life, it became very clear that I had the skills needed to turn this into a career in the producing, fundraising, administrative side, while also still getting to be involved creatively where I can or at you know, other organizations, things like that. And so it's it's been this beautiful journey from that initial 
falling in love with the art and what theater does and creates community and, and inspiration and into something that became a reality in a career sense. So it's been it's been a lifelong love and I'm excited to explore it as I continue in my career, especially in fundraising. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing, you know, that you and I have had conversations about before is I think your journey of how you got to Zach Theater is one of the most interesting personal journeys I've ever really encountered, certainly on this show and really more broadly. Fabulous. You know, you know, and a lot of that is, is that you went to another market and then you came back to, you know, the state that you're originally from. And I think yeah. there's a lot of a, a perception out there that in order to be successful in theater and the arts, I have to go to New York and I have to be there my entire career. And you're, you know, you're still a relatively young person. You really show that that is not the case. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you became involved with Zach and your journey of how you got here. Love to share that journey. And thank you so much for those kind words. So my journey with Zach began as an undergraduate at the University of Texas. I was the head cheerleader on the co-ed squad. So I was experiencing a different type of performance at that time, 110,000 people coming to the games and being a part of that community very much plays a similar role to theater and performance and community and inspiration, teamwork, that sort of thing. But I reached out to Dave Stakely, who is our artistic director at Zach. Um, we both were in the same honors program, the Plan 2 honors program at UT Austin. So I had gathered some information about his history and realized that might be an in, you know, somewhere, some way to get into this theater world. So I cold called him until he answered. <laughs> and Persistence, and love it. Love that persistence and resilience. Even when you may not get an answer the first time, you just keep showing up and keep showing your passion. And finally got in the room with him and was able to ex expand on my journey and what I was hoping for and wishing for. And we immediately connected and he offered me to come in as an assistant with him on Mary Poppins, which we were doing that summer. I believe this was um, the summer of 2015, I believe. And um, then I auditioned for the show. I actually got in to the show. So I was flipping and tumbling and lifting <laughs> our actors all over. So cheer, cheer and theater have always gone hand in hand for me. Um, and then I was able to be in a few more shows at Zach throughout my undergraduate career that were very, very special and really opened my eyes to what professional theater is versus growing up in a community theater. And so I graduated from college. Um, was really looking for that next step. What was I going to do? Where was I going to go? How was I going to make money? And unfortunately, there's not a ton of performing opportunities in Austin, particularly. And so I was trying to bridge that gap. Where can I learn new skills from my time in college, which I got a directing degree from UT Austin. And so definitely in the creative sense, but from my honors program world, the liberal arts world, I had this other understanding of skills. And so I was at this place, what do I do? What do I do? And so I landed on the idea that I was going to take the LSAT and go to law school. And so I, I did that whole process. I got into SMU law, got into Baylor law and was so excited. But then I got a great call from a mentor of mine, longstanding faculty member at UT Austin, Natasha Davison. And she said, I have a once in a lifetime offer for you. 
Um, there's a producing team in New York working on a new show, show called The Prom, and they're looking for someone to come in. Um, and we think you're the perfect fit. Can you move on Saturday? And oh so wow. <laughs> this was like Monday and the offer was like starting on Saturday of that year. And so I had to make a very, very quick decision. This is in, you know, earlier in that year. And so I was planning to go to law school in the fall. So this was like, okay, well, maybe I'll go. Maybe I can, you know, defer law school or something. And so I just decided to go for it. I decided this was the once in a lifetime chance and I needed to go make my mark in New York. And so I came in sort of as um, a lower level assistant basis. And then within that first week sort of made my mark and was offered a full-time position onto the team for the prom as a producing associate. And then I continued on with that journey into joining the team at Global Creatures, which is the team that produced Moulin Rouge on Broadway, as well as their global takeover of, of six or seven productions now. Um, so it was a lovely, lovely opportunity to move to New York and learn something else because I just, at that time, didn't have the right skills to fit at Zach. Other than being sort of a creative assistant or a performer, growing as a leader was kind of, you know, I was kind of plateauing there without going to get that extra knowledge and information that I needed. And so I always had in my head that, you know, my family's here in Texas. I had a great community here in Texas, but I needed to go learn and get something and maybe bring it back in lieu of going to grad school for, you know, a development position or going to grad school for my MBA. I thought, well, I could use this time to really go and explore what I can do and how, how far I can push this career and really learn. So that, that boots on the ground in New York really just got me to step up, right? I suddenly became a professional. I wasn't someone who was kind of outside looking into this amazing career that was about to blossom. I was actually in the career that was blossoming and it felt so fulfilling. Um, and then the heartbreaking piece came right around when COVID was happening. And so I kind of had to make this decision between staying in New York where I would be in, you know, my shoebox apartment alone, no community, working on the shows because they were still existing, but they just weren't on. And the, the fun part about Broadway was that you could finish your hard day of work at the theater. You know, there was right. just this, this sense of. I keep saying the word community because it's so important to me. And so once I found that community in New York, it was hard to step away. But when that community sort of dissolved, I was like, okay, plan B, what is it? And so immediately my resources, my brain goes to resources. And that was Zach Theater. So at that time, there was a, a big staff shift due to COVID. There was some furloughs and things. So there was a little bit of downtime between the two. But I officially started on their development team in September of 2020. So it was a really crazy time and um, sort of wanted to understand. I, I started to learn about for-profit fundraising, right? Like for Broadway shows, they exist as an LLC. So when you're raising money, you're bringing investors on to this parent company. And what I really wanted to learn were the skills that I didn't have because Broadway is not an easy sell. It's definitely risky, but there's not as much community benefit, you know, as we get in nonprofit with donors and benefits and annual funds, there's just a different sort of retain retainer that's needed for those people. And I didn't have any context of those skills. So I said, why not go to the place where, you know, I built, started this career and learn from the people that I look up to the most. And so at that time when the staff was 
much smaller, I got a lot more time to really hone those skills and understand what worked and what didn't, especially in a virtual space, right? We didn't have a gala to throw. We did a full virtual gala that year. And um, sorry, we call it gala, Zach. That's just, it just stuck in my brain. Gala, gala. Same and, thing. <laughs> uh, same thing in Texas. Call it a gala. Um, and so we did that virtual one. And then we were off sort of for a year, no gala. And I worked more in the individual giving space to make sure we maintain the donors, the large donor base that Zach has. And then about, I would say about a year ago, although I've done two of the galas, uh, about a year ago from now is when I moved into that official campaigns and events manager position, which covers both our special campaigns that aren't the annual fund. So if there's a creative raise that's happening. We want to enhance a show. That would be something that I would cover if we're going to do a special raffle or a special something that's just not your typical annual donation. And then the events covers Red Hot and Soul, which is our gala and, you know, really, really fun party, great fundraising opportunity. And then as well as our travel programs, our donor trips to New York, which obviously connected very easily for me. And so suddenly through that persistence, uh, similar to calling Dave Stakely over and over until I finally got in, I sort of created and helmed this um, spot for myself at Zach where I could truly shine with all these different elements of my uh, sort of skill set and what I bring to the table to make make the position really work for me. So with with Red Hot and Soul specifically, and my directing degree, it suddenly became like I was directing a production and there was so many different players and actors and production staff. And so I really understood how I could shine in that role through this process. And so now I'm utmost passionate about it because I understand the the passion that it takes to get to it, but the success that can come out of it when you view it from that lens of production and making it, you know, a really, really special experience that you couldn't experience anywhere else. That's incredible. And, you know, there, you brought such a wealth of information with that. And, and really the one thing that I kind of heard as a consistent theme is you were willing to risk and bet on yourself in that, you know, you moved from one market to another, you realized that what you wanted was not necessarily going to be a linear path and that you would have to do different yet strategic moves to, you know, you ultimately wanted to get back to Texas and you found your way to do that. And it may have not even been the way that you initially set out to do it, but, you know, you wound up eventually back here, but it wasn't a linear path. And I think, you know, when you're looking, you know, anyone here who's listening, who's either looking to hire, you know, listen to stories of someone like Hunter, because really what he has shown is, you know, he is, is passionate about it. He really works hard to um, get to the ultimate goals that he's wanting to get. And he wasn't afraid to take some risks and bet on himself along the way. And when you're looking for people to be involved in an event, you want people just like Hunter who bring a breadth of experience and you bring them in. And it may not even be a right now thing. Like, you know, you, you came into Zach with one element and you wound up in another over a course of time and the opportunities just presented themselves. So it's, you know, there, there's a thing that you were saying, like with Dave, it wasn't, you reached out and you were persistent, but no doesn't necessarily mean no, never. It can also mean no, not right now. And, exactly. you know, thank you for sharing that. Yes, I'm glad to share, of course. And it's, 
I appreciate the kind words and it's been bringing a wealth of knowledge from experience is great, but then there's life experience. There's also commitment from your heart and commitment for, for community and building something that's meaningful to you and what Zach does and, and the work we do in the community and in our education programs. It just speaks so much to who I am and why I do what I do from being that young boy in community theater that found somewhere that felt like home that was a separate, separate group of people than your family. And that, that sense of family always inspired me. And so I try and bring in that heart component into any conversation that I have, whether it be a stone cold New York conversation where you're dealing with attorneys and, you know, bringing, <laughs> bringing in just like a little bit of laughs and a little bit of smile a really difficult production meeting where everyone's super stressed, bringing the right energy to the room and saying, we've got this y'all come on. Like we've got this, let's put our heads together. And I think that's such a sense of theater. And then it could be the other, the other side of it, you know, people are so happy and you kind of have to ground, you know, people have all these big ideas, especially if you're talking about your committees and your board, there's all these big ideas. And we so want to honor all of those, but also bringing it down to reality and what the goals are and why we're putting this effort so, so deeply into this one event or this one production or whatever we're working on. Absolutely. Now, I think that's the perfect segue into, you know, this year's this year's Red Hot and Soul. And, yes. you know, one thing that and this is really the perfect time and you all are a great organization to talk about this with is revamping a format. And, you know, a lot of organizations are struggling with that because who they are today in a lot of cases was not who they were five years ago before COVID and Correct. fusing all those things together. So tell us a little bit about um, what motivated the change of format for this year's Red Hot and Soul. Yes. So this year, um, for the first time, we moved the main portion, the seated dinner, live auction and entertainment onto our top for stage inside for the first time. So for those that don't know the event, typically we host it on our plaza in front of our theater with a large Sperry tent that's there and can host around 420 to 450 people in there. So it's a very large event and really, really cool. Um, but due to some logistics issues, some facilities issues um, with that tent and sort of its lifespan, we've had it for a long time at Zach, we decided to pivot inside this year. Um, and naturally you would think, oh, well, wouldn't a theater have their gala on the stage? You know, it kind of lends itself to that, but there's always space limitations, right? We wanna get as many bodies um, in, in the space as possible and do it comfortably because you're, you know, paying a ticket to get in or, you know, you're being invited by one of our special guests. And so what really opened the door for us was our production team and our creative team have moved into a new form of programming that we call Zach 360. And Zach 360 is um, an investment that we made to be able to build out our stage over our proscenium stage. It's just a typical, um, a proscenium is just what you would think of when you think of the audience sitting in front of the stage, not in the round or anything like that, just for context for the non-theater people. And <laughs> thank uh, you for that. <laughs> of course. Well, I don't want to speak in terms that people don't understand. So, you know, your, your typical theater. 
um, we were able to build out the stage over the first nine rows of the seats. And so that it, it expanded our square footage by an insane margin. We were so excited to have that in our wheelhouse. And we knew that it was something we could employ if we ever needed it. And so if, it, if anyone that's listening has been to Zach in our last season, we produced The Sound of Music and we employed onstage seating for that. And we had beer garden tables um, surrounding. And so that was our first foray into onstage seating at this level. And so with that extension from Zach 360, we were able to fit the amount of tables that we needed on the stage comfortably. And we said, wow, like this is something that's truly incredible. You know, it's some, it's, it's a one thing about having the tent production, the tent gala is you have to hire a separate sort of production team because it's not inside our walls. It's not inside our theater. It's outside. We build a truss. We have these large LED screens. And so one really cool thing with our budget is we were able to move people inside and then do what we do best is put on a show in our theater. So we were really able to use a lot of our inner working production team to make it shine on a different level because we weren't having to speak a different language to maybe an event manager an event company we were talking to our own production team and so it, it really brought in this really fun sort of continuity with the level of what our productions typically look like and not that the tent has ever lacked that at all it's just some people have never been on a stage ever. And so to step on stage and be like, oh, this is where I've seen all these shows or I've been inspired or I've, I've had great conversation and to be a part of that, it just lends itself to this really genuine experience that I think um, out of all the feedback was all positive, you know? And I think there are some things that we can improve on, but for the first year to move it after 12 years in this one certain format, especially just not in the format of the event as a whole, but the location, I think it was very successful and I'm super proud of the change. That's exciting. Now, you know, you, you talked about, you know, um, you know, obviously moving it in the space, you know, talk a little bit about maybe some new um, programmatic elements that you were able to kind of incorporate, you know, because you had this new space and you had this different space and how that um, not changed, but how it uh, put a new spin on the event. Of course. Well, so I and when I'm thinking about the event, I put it in three specific um, boxes that we go through throughout the night, right? There's there's three sort of spearhead events. And so it starts with a cocktail party. And so that's cocktail party with entertainment. And that's throughout. And typically we have it out in our lobby and we have a nice lobby at SAC. And then we move everyone to their seated portion that lasts for, you know, however long with the dinner, the live auction, entertainment throughout. We always have our students perform from our lovely pre-professional company and always brings everyone to their feet and always inspires, you know, to know why we're doing it. One thing at Zach, we never turn away a student for a financial issue. So our scholarships, all the scholarship money coming in, we're able to ensure that everyone has access to this work. And I love that. So just mentioning that. And then we move into a great after party. So um, one thing that I loved about everything being inside was actually being able to control the flow a little bit more coming in typically for the cocktail party and then going out to the tent. People are just starting to get into their conversation.
you know, the voice of God comes over the top of the top of the uh, mic and says, please move to the tent at this time. And no one sort of moves. You're like, oh, okay. well, how are we going to push all these people out? Because we're on a pretty timed schedule to make sure that the food comes out hot. You know, it's, it's a dance. It's a very delicate choreography. And that's where my director comes in. And so this year with the change, we were able to take some of the entertainment that was inside of the lobby in the cocktail hour, started out there and then actually invite people through the performance to come and join us in the theater. And so one, one big element of my excitement for doing this was when we were moving into the theater, we could create a truly wow moment. It's like when you walk into a space and I get this very much from my time working on Moulin Rouge on Broadway, we spent so much time with that initial opening moment when you walk in that you're like, I just stepped into a new space. It's gasping. You're so excited. And I just had this vision along with our, our great chairs, Don Gauger and Max Judd to have that wow moment. And so we started an entertainment outside. We invited people through the song. We did Janet Jackson's Escapade. And we fun. did Escapade right into the theater where we had aerialists hanging from the ceiling on gorgeous silk. And the flowers by David Curio were just immaculate. And everyone, we could people were just stopping and staring in awe because of this wow moment. It just, to me as a theater person, and, and when we go back to the mission of creating these exciting theatrical experiences that ignite and, you know, and excite our audiences, um, that I saw that in practice right there. And so it, there was a little bit of a flow issue just because people were stopping to take it all in. But then when they finally got on stage, it, you know, it moved around. And then with some of the programming throughout the evening, we thought this is one of the challenges is that when you're on the stage, there's sort of a sound barrier around your ear and any actor might know this. It's, it's sort of hard to hear because the ceiling goes very, very far up. It goes, you know, an entire uh, unit up of what you can see in the proscenium and then side to side, it's pretty far. So that sound control was a little bit more difficult, but we used a lot of visual aids throughout the theater. We had screens on each side um, as well as our risen stage at the sort of the back wall of the theater. So whichever way you were facing, you could still see what was going on. And then we created performances that were able to be moved throughout the space. So you wouldn't have to turn each time to the stage. You might have a performer within a foot from you. So these all, they all presented new challenges and new exciting things to think about. But I think overall it was successful in the management of the flow and the management of the wow factor and everyone sort of receiving that wow factor at the same time. And then that the, the genuineness of being on stage for the first time was really, really exciting for a lot of people. That's really incredible. And I love how you explain, you know, the, you know, the entire experience and, you know, I I've had the good fortune of going to it several times. Um, and it, you know, what you all are able to do, you all always do create a wow moment. A lot of that, you know, is because of the incredible floral that David Curio does and is known incredible. for. He's just He's incredible. One of a kind guy. The other thing that you all have always done really well, and I noticed that was done again this year, is you do a really good job because of the theatrical performance of keeping the audience engaged. But there's other subtle ways that you do it. Like, for example, you all were the first, and you all have been doing this for at least a decade, where when you do the live auction, when someone wins, 
the theater company comes to the table of whoever won, you know, poppers and streamers go off, champagne is popped, you know, so that the winner has that. You make it a thing, you know, talk about that and, you know, just some other good ways that you can keep folks engaged and your audience engaged throughout a program. Great. Yes, I love this. I love this about Red Hot and Soul because, you know, we kind of we kind of kick it off with this excitement because when we move into a live auction, there are people that are going to be involved. There are people that are not going to be involved. So I'll just I'll just tap on this, the, the dancer portion and then move into a few others. But yes, that engagement of the entire audience to make it exciting when someone wins something is really, really cool. And um the the way that we employ it is to make sure that focus is always being taken to the person who's obviously bidding. And then sometimes we'll even do it for the second, you know, it, it's not always just the winner that gets a celebration. We're, we're thankful for anyone that's willing to give us that amount of money or those things. And so it keeps people engaged and excited and it's so unexpected. So what we did this year was we had four, uh, yeah, four professional dancers who are, who are, entertainment they were part of the performances but then they were also the streamers you know the streamer throwers and so in between each live auction which we have 12 items they go through to each table and really create the energy and get them excited and so someone that you might not see get up and do a little jig in the middle of an event like this especially if it's a little bit of a highbrow table suddenly they feel the the need to get up and, you know, shake a leg, have fun. Um, and it's a lot of fun. To, my One of my favorite parts is to see the pictures after and some of my board members and people that, you know, sometimes are not quite as enthusiastic about maybe that attention on them suddenly love it. And so it kind of flips some of those on their head. Um, uh, another thing that really helped us this year to keep the event going was we did not want people having to get up and go get their drinks over and over, right? We're in a dark theater. It's already packed. Like we wanted to make sure that once you sat down, you were sat down and you felt comfortable and you could ask for anything you need. So we worked with our catering company, Flavor Catering here in Austin, which was also another change this year. It was our first time to work with them. And they just did a great job of splitting the room with two teams. And so we had team A and team B and you didn't cross paths there. So team A is working on their set of tables and every single person that needed a refill on their drink or a, another cocktail, not even just wine service, full cocktail service was so helpful because then people aren't thinking like, oh, when can I get up and get my next drink? Or mm, when is this going to be over? I want something, you know, I need to do something. We didn't really give them an opportunity to, we just kind of barreled through it. And we had one of the shortest entertainment dinner live auction moments than we've ever had before. And so that was one of the things that I got coming back from COVID when I threw this event the first time back in 2022 was that it did feel very drawn out and it was, you know, the, the cadence was slower. And so we rehearsed, we timed it, we got words down to a T. So it felt like the audience was on the punctuation with us, they weren't following it. And so anytime there was something that needed to be punctuated with a performance or the dancers coming out for the auction, it was all there for you laid out in front of you and you didn't have to search for it. You weren't having to ask a million people for it. And another piece of that that I love so much is of course, being the event manager, you know, I have my little bud in my ear and I'm talking to people and getting cues but I make it a priority to go to each person that has um, 
bid in the auction, even if they didn't win and make them feel acknowledged. We see you and we, we really appreciate the engagement and just some people are a little bit more candid and you have a relationship with and go up and give a hug and say, thank you. This is incredible. And sort of be a part of that visual of congratulating um, or people that may not be as candid and you may never have met them and say, Hey, you know, I'm a hunter. I'm here with the development team and thank you so much for your engagement right now. Like this is really going to help us in so many ways. And suddenly on the next auction item, they bid and they won. And so it's really that they want to be seen. Right. And they want, of course they want the auction package, but these, most of these people could go on these travel vacations on their own, you know, they could do it. And so to, to use this as a tool to support this art and this education that we love so much to be acknowledged for that, not in a letter after the event or not a call after, but in the event, taking the time, not listening to my stage manager saying, Hunter, Hunter, next cue or whatever, just a moment to say, thank you so much. It really, I think goes a long way. Well, that's a wonderful example of how really to keep the engagement going. And really, I love how you talked about how everyone deserves to feel seen. And yes. quite frankly, if someone, you know, I've seen donors where they will purposely bid to not win. And mm -hmm. that's kind of a test for some of them to see how well an organization operates. So I right. love that you you're you're seeing that, you're getting that, and you're going to them and you know thanking them and it can open up a whole new donor and a whole new relationship that could be you know years in the making even if they didn't win so it's important to acknowledge you know anyone who's actively participating especially in a seated dinner because that's you know not everyone participates especially with an auction in that way so i thought that was wonderful right. advice Thank you. And I, and I just really, um, this year we used a lot of our personal staff for auction spotters. So people that were around helping with the bids, we just had a sort of a last minute emergency with some of the spotters coming in. And so we, you know, utilized our staff and had them trained. And so ultimately the people that were around helping with the bids were people that our patrons mostly already knew. So there's a little banter, there's a little candid that happens when you're trying to, you know, raise a little bit more money. If you have a natural conversation already started with that person through a board liaison or through, you know, event other events or other donor engagement moments. And so I would really say the the gala is its own summit that we reach through all these smaller engagements, whether it be through calls, touch points, dinners board meetings, all the way to this main night where everyone's dressed up and together. It's like the Tonys, right? Absolutely. And we can all say, we're in this together. And as much as we can raise and as much as we can do to support this organization we love so much, it's going to benefit us both in that. It's going to continue to help us engage as staff and as lovers of this space, but you also as the patron or the donor, because it's it, it works in tandem. And so it makes it really special. And I, I so lean into my personal relationships with these people that I've built over the course of these eight years since I initially became involved at Zach. So now it becomes Yes, we're colleagues. Yes, we work together professionally, but there's also a friendship to it. And that that always leads itself into more generosity. That's amazing. That's a great, thank you for sharing and clarifying with that. And, and speaking of ongoing engagement, I know it's a little early, but can mm -hmm. you talk, can you tease at least one little thing about what's going to happen at the 2024 Zach Theater Red Hot and Soul? 
Yes. Well, right now we are um, we are under a new managing director. The wonderful Jamie Herlick has joined us from the Seattle Rev Company. And Jamie is a gala queen. She knows so much. She has a wealth of information like we were talking about earlier. And she has such an attention to detail with verb, verbal, um, what we say and why we say it and what the narrative is surrounding what we're doing. Is it just the, the biggest party, the hottest party, or is the fundraising at the heart of it? So I think, you know, we're getting together. We're really working with our committee and a task force because this event has run in one way for a long time and we've set a standard for what that is. So we're going to continue meeting that standard, but what we can incorporate from the feedback we're getting, we're doing a very intense, not intense, but a very um, overarching survey surrounding what worked and what didn't this year. And I think people, we had pretty general consensus on a lot of the feedback. So where we can find that consensus, shifting into that to make it even better than the standard that you were expecting. And so what I can tease is that we're taking in that feedback and really putting a detailed eye to it and a huge magnifying glass in this time of transition, because with new leadership always comes new energy, right? And so I, I don't think the overall format will change too much, but I do think that I can tease um, just a, f a few changes that will be very, very exciting once we unveil them, um, but they're still in the works. And we're the thing is, it's always like a production in, in I wouldn't call it flux, but in evolution until we get into that time where everything's locked in. So I'm very excited to see where we land with a lot of these conversations. Well, Hunter, I hope you will come back, you know, next spring to talk about the 2024 gala and kind of how, you know, how that process evolves. You did such a wonderful job today of really just kind of highlighting how you really went about revamping an event, but that the revamping doesn't just stop after one year. It's a continual thing and how feedback is just so critically important to that success. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. Absolutely. And just one parting advice is I would say committees on these events are so important. Lean on your committees, trust your committees, work with them, have that open dialogue to have these th this feedback and this change and always ensure that the, that that value from the feedback of your committees is so important. I just want to shout out to my fabulous committee on Red Hot and Soul because they're always there doing their best to make it a really great team effort. And I just so appreciate that. So thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Hunter. And for more information about Zach Theater, visit ZachTheater.org. And that will do it for this episode of Fun and Fundraising. I am your host, Rob Giardinelli, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care.